Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads. This is episode 40 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and you're the closest thing to an expert on this brand of craziness. And I'm Barb, and you had me at a man out of time. Today, we're going to be discussing the third Sleepy Hollow episode of season four entitled Heads of State, which was written by M. Raven Metzner and directed by Kelly Cyrus. And wow, this was an interesting one, don't you think, Steve? Yes, it was. (laughs) Heads were rolling, literally. Yes, literally. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely a M. Raven episode. Yes, it certainly was. He had all kinds of, as you said, craziness out there today. And some awful good humor. Oh, the humor. I, I am just really enjoying this. And when we talk about some of the characters, there is one that if you haven't guessed already, he's kind of developing into my like new favorite after Crane, of course, and Jenny. <laughs> mm, wonder who that could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. Chilbo Baggins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you like a little recap, Steve? All right, let's do it. Okay. Ichabod Crane has found an apartment in Washington, D.C. and appears to be settling into his new life. Meanwhile, the Headless Horseman has arrived in town and is attempting to collect the head of the President of the United States. Diana Thomas engages Crane in the investigation, and she, Alex Norwood, and Jake Wells learn what Crane and Jenny Mills already know. The Headless Horseman is real. Jake and Alex force Crane to reveal his secret. He's a 265-year-old time traveler. Diana and Crane obtain Benjamin Banneker's early drawings of Washington, D.C. and the mysterious J Street, and Jake, Jenny, and Alex determine how to use the street's supernatural glyphs and powers to trap the Headless Horseman. With Crane as bait, the Horseman is trapped until Malcolm Dreyfus and Job make a deal and prepare to free Headless. Crane tells Diana that Molly is the next witness, which she has begun to suspect after viewing Molly's sketches. She tells Crane that she and Molly will have nothing to do with the witness responsibilities and evil forces, and nothing to do with any of them. It stops now. Crane tells her she cannot escape it. Finally, Crane returns home to tackle a do-it-yourself project when he hears a strange noise. He opens his closet and is attacked by the gooey black tarry substance that was in the J Street Tunnel. What has just happened to Crane? That was unnerving. It attacked him in the face. Yes. (sighs) It shot up like it was alive. I know. It was kind of like a glue slobbery thing, uh, like uh, Ghostbusters or something. Right. (laughs) Slimer. Except I don't think that he was lucky enough to only get slimed. So before we get into all that good stuff, Steve, what kind of news do you have for us this week? All right. We got some rating news, as always. Episode 1, Columbia. Of course, the final ratings were 0.6 and a 2 share in adults 18 to 49 with 2.19 million viewers. The Live Plus 7 Days has showed up, and it tied for 7th in adults 18 to 49 percentage gain 
going from a 0.6 to a 1.0 for an increase of 67%, and was fourth overall in viewers' percentage gain going from 2.186 to 3.723 million viewers for an increase of 70%. Way to go, sleepyheads. Absolutely. And wait until this starts showing in other countries like Great Britain. Yes. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, the Nielsen's will not see it, but I bet you the networks will. You bet they will. All right. Episode two in plain sight, the final ratings were 0.6 and a two share and 18 to 49 with 2.14 million viewers. Basically, steady as a rock. Now, this episode, Heads of State, Preliminary numbers are a 0.5 and a two share in 18 to 49 with 1.92 million viewers. A little slippage there, sleepyheads. And it was an awesome episode. So I don't see those live plus sevens better be at least 3.7, if not more. And we do know that season four has rap production. A couple of tweets uh, from Jania and M. Raven Metzner have verified that so hopefully we will be able to live tweet with them for the rest of the season oh that would be a lot of fun yes as long as they're not all trapped in j street yeah (laughs) exactly or have black tarry goo on their face Ooh, gross (laughs) shall we get into ratings barb let's do that steve how did you rate this episode i gave it an eight point Five obscure donut toppings. Nice. (laughs) Always with the food. We like the food. And I gave it eight sets of do-it-yourself instructions. (laughs) And I have assembled things from Ikea before. So, yeah. Not fun. (laughs) Yeah. Justina gave it 10 mysterious J-streets. Linda gave it 9.5 Allen wrenches. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Linda. (laughs) And then Annette gave it 7.5 out of 10. So there we go. So our ratings were were interesting between 7.5 and and all the way up to 10. So a little bit of variability here this week. I guess some people liked it just a little bit better than some others. (laughs) Yeah, I, I took it down a little bit for some of the, what do I want to call it? I'll call it sort of the whininess, I suppose, or the that uh, Dreyfus displayed. I thought he was a little over the top in, in some areas. And uh, then with uh, Diana's sort of temper tantrum with, with Crane, <laughs> which I didn't care for too much. I thought, really? Okay. But other than that, I, I really enjoyed so much of this episode. Yes, it definitely was um, a very good episode. It certainly was. So, Steve, why don't we get into it and start with Good old Ichabod Crane on our team witness, shall we? All right. Well, we open the episode and we see Crane is apartment hunting with Jenny and Jake tagging along to help. I thought that was so funny. Now, I can see why Jenny would be with him because she's going to want to make sure he gets in a in a nice, safe place. You know, a great place like she has, the junkyard, right? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I, I think that his apartment uh, was a, a close second. Maybe even a, he, he may have even topped her on that one. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. But we get some great lines that we will uh, discuss a little later on from uh, several of them. <laughs> and Jake is so sweet. He just wants to be so helpful. And, and I can see this, and he's, so, and he's puppy-dogging, and it's fun. Yeah, it's, uh, 
definitely a lot of fun having Jake around. And I think he's probably the one character that everybody is really getting on board with. <laughs> he's totally my new fave. I yeah. really like Jake. After um, Headless makes his appearance by going after the president, uh, Diana, of course, brings Crane into the investigation because he is such an expert on crazy and monsters and shows him the, the video of um, one of the uh, security guys that described uh, the horseman as headless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he looked a little shocked by that, too. Yeah. And everybody else thought the cop was crazy. Yeah. And so Diane was at a loss because the entire city was on lockdown. But Crane, of course, has to give them the story of um, Headless. And we do get to see some awesome flashbacks. Those were some real nice ones from season one where we see Abby, we see Corbin, we see the room where um, Orlando Jones's character was cornered by Headless. <laughs> and I think this, again, is another very smart play by the showrunners to have the writers incorporate this into the show and really kind of pull at our heartstrings to say, hey, listen, you still have a lot of characters here that you love. We still want to do some justice to the folks that have been left behind. We're not going to forget them. We know you haven't. And so we won't either. Right. Um, smart move. I agree completely. Now, as they're discussing Headless, Jake pops up with maybe he's looking for another head. And, of course, him and Crane immediately bounce off each other with this culture does this and this culture does that. And, oh, the Aborigines shrink. And, yeah, some cultures believe that the heads of states' heads are mystical. And magical. And so, so they figure that that must be what Headless is there for is he thinks he needs the president's head. Yeah, definitely. So, of course, Crane wants to go and investigate along with everybody else. And Diana goes, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. We can't do that. I, I can get Crane, but I can't get the rest of you. Well, fortunately, Alex says, I think we can be there and not be there. And they head to the tunnels and they discover in the tunnels that, oh, there is some protective magic going on. And that's what stopped Headless. And what I thought was very interesting is as they discovered this, and what was really funny, of course, because Crane was up on top with this little walkie-talkie kind of okay. telling him 30 paces. That was a very smart way to get on the scene without necessarily being on the scene. Exactly. And we also get to see a little bit more interaction with Jenny and Jake. Oh, and he has goo-goo eyes for her. He's going to have goo-goo eyes for everyone, I think, before this is <laughs> over and done with. It's transference. Yes. So when they go back to the vault, Crane sees that the glyphs are the works of one Benjamin Banneker. And that's where everything falls apart. And I think that this was probably one of the funniest scenes of the entire episode. Yes. When they <laughs> busted him. <laughs> Yeah, Jake was prob is probably a bigger fan of Banneker than he is of Crane, and he knew everything there was to know about him, and 
pretty much called him out on everything he said and basically said the only way you could know this stuff is you had to know the man. Time traveler. It's okay. You can admit it. Time traveler. <laughs> but when, when Crane is like, oh, you know, I knew someone. I read this account. From yeah. <laughs> 1777 from a visit from an unnamed officer. And Jake is, no, you did. It all burned up. Uh, well, it was in Sleepy Hollow. No, it wasn't. Admit it. Admit it. You're a time traveler. And then Alex. Oh, I snagged a hair from your check and did a carbon-14 dating on it. <laughs> you have no pollutants in your blood, nothing else. None of these chemicals we have today. Basically, you're a couple hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. And, watch and of course, Diana just loses it. Crane, now. And takes him in another room and basically busts his chops for not being honest with them and telling them everything. And it's like, yeah, you really would have believed that at first. <laughs> so we do get to meet Banneker in Crane's little flashback. And he is quite amazing because, of course, he catches Crane. As Crane hangs upside down, which was just yeah. at first I thought, what's going on here? And then I realized and I thought this is very funny. Yeah, and had quite a um, difficult time convincing um, Mr. Banneker that he was there with important information from General Washington. And Go I ahead. think that all the the fans of uh, long-haired Crane versus short-haired Crane were happy to see that he had his wig back on and he was long-haired Crane from season one. Yes, though I guess the the biggest thing I took out of their conversation, besides the guy is just a genius combining all these different cultures into one city was that he felt that there was no way this country could actually get on its own two feet seeing that the founders were still allowing slavery to continue yes and he had also respectfully corresponded with the leaders and had received re uh, replies from them as well as he alluded to Crane. Yes. And of course, Crane tells him that he's an abolitionist and is right there with him that no man should not be free and that maybe Banneker should try a different approach, like maybe meeting them in person. But don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see if that ever came to pass. I kind of doubt it. Now, first discover that Jenny remembers seeing the symbol of saw on a folio that Crane remembered seeing when he met Banneker. And, of course, Jake just doesn't believe that's even possible. Jenny gets on the computer and pulls it up, and <laughs> there it is. There it is, indeed. In the hands of one Malcolm Dreyfus, of course. And that was very telling because here... You know, Jake had thought everything was gone, but Jenny and her experience, and I think that she and Jake and, and Alex, and I think we saw that too, they made some very good partners as they did their research, come up with some of this historical, uh, mystical information. And not only that, but the historical artifacts and the documents, not all of them are in the vault. And Jenny is right. going to be, Jenny is going to continue to be a person who can provide them with some of this information. Oh, absolutely. Very important. Now, of course, Crane decides it's best for him to be the bait for Headless because of the fact that the only person that 
Headless would want, possibly want more than the president would be him. So that's how they're going to uh, get Headless to J Street. Yeah, he was sticking his out, his neck out, so to speak. Yeah, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, by this time, Diana has seen the drawings that Molly has done and also dated and confronts Crane with them. And he reluctantly, I think, even though he knew he had to, but he really didn't want to spill the beans yet. But he does tell her that Molly is the next witness. And that was tough for her. Yeah, definitely. That was not something she needed to hear. And Crane was absolutely right. And he was saved at that point in time because here comes Headless on a motorcycle with a head. Yeah. (laughs) And that was so great because Crane's standing there and he's going, this doesn't look right. This doesn't look right. (laughs) And once Headless got off the motorcycle, Crane knew it had to be Headless. Oh, yeah. He had his axe, too. Yeah. (laughs) His glowing axe. And, of course, he's got to say, oh, can't pass a chance of uh, getting my head now, could you? And so off they go into J Street, which definitely was probably almost another dimension. It seemed like it reminded me of Harry Potter and uh, how you can only get through some walls if you're magic. Right. So, yeah. Of course, we do see Crane step in some black tar-looking goo and get stuck, and Headless grabs him and is about to uh, get his prize, and Diana shoots, and uh, Crane tries to uh, knock the head off. Yeah, I think the one thing that made, made me stop and that left me puzzled for a few minutes was when he stepped in that black, gooey, tarry stuff, he seemed to get stuck. I was thinking, how did you then manage to get out of it? So maybe it was because... Headless was strong enough to pull him up and out of it. Right. Is, and then that's how he got away. And they managed to get out. And, of course, the team gets the door closed behind them just in the nick of time. That's the way it always works. Yes. <laughs> and we get this moment with Crane and Diane. And he tells her that the team will be with her and Molly every step of the way. And she flat out tells him not only no, but no. <laughs> yeah. It ain't happening. <laughs> She's, no. She doesn't want to have anything to do with them, the team, the supernatural or nothing. We're running. Of course not. This is her child. Right. There's, you know, you're not going to put your own child in danger. Yeah. And you, you expected that from her because she is a parent. Absolutely. I would have been surprised if she had reacted in any other way. Right. And so off she goes. We cut to Crane in his apartment eating takeout. So apparently the stove is in need of repair. Maybe so, because we know he can cook. (laughs) But he did say there was a long list of things that needed to be repaired in that place, and it looked like it. Yes. Unfortunately, I have lived in a place like that before, and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not uh, a good thing. But Crane... Sits down with his uh, project. (laughs) Yeah, trying to put together a bed from Ikea. And he's looking at all the parts like, well, wait a minute, which is the, wait, which, which is the, the long one? And (laughs) wait, and they look, they both look the same size to me. Yeah. (laughs) I thought, you know, I've gone through this before too. (laughs) Like, what? Wait, which one works? Yeah. And he hears a noise 
He gets up to investigate. He opens the closet door, and we see the black goo coming out from underneath his boot. It slowly gets bigger, and then it jumps out and attacks. I know. That was just like, what? What just happened? You can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't end with that. What are you doing? Uh, that was pretty shocking. That was very yeah. shocking. Yes. For the third episode of this season, yeah, that was, <laughs> was not expecting something like that this early in the season, but well done, M. Raven. All right. So then let's go. We'll go over to Jenny here. And, you know, Jenny is always bringing her her A game, you know, she's there to with Crane at the beginning with the apartment hunting. But when Jake starts making comments about how their names are similar, you know, Mills, Wells, right? And yeah. and, <laughs> and and he's he's clearly crushing on her, right? Absolutely. He completely is. And she just kinda look at Crane and he rolls her eyes and he's he's already a bit amused by this. <laughs> yeah. But she, I'm sure she's thinking, this kid, right? And, and he they're probably only a, I don't know, I'm going to guess they're probably not any more than eight years apart. But yeah, he's he's totally puppy dogging, pup, doing the puppy dog thing on her now the way he was doing it on Crane. But he's definitely got a crush on her. Yes, <laughs> he sure does. But again, you know, she brings her knowledge, her expertise, her maturity. I mean, she's been through so much and she's she's just bringing this maturity to the table with her. Um, when she starts talking to the team in the vault about the heads of royalty. You know how they're powerful totems with many cultures. She's the one in the tunnel who spotted the glyphs and the ward symbols first. Even as Jake is going through these tunnels, you know, he said he'd gone through and he mapped them out previously, but then he, and and he was probably so busy mapping the tunnels that he didn't really pay attention to what else was in them. But again, this gets back to Jenny's experience. She knows to look around. She knows to look for the supernatural. She knows that there may be things out there and she's got that eye of observation that the right. re- that Alex and Jake do not have yet. I'm sure that they will develop into it, but her experience, I think, really, you know, it really shines in this. But very, Yes, it really did. Yeah, but very quickly, Jake, once he started seeing these, he, he got it. He understood what they were. You know, when he's telling her, oh, you really know your runes. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, don't even... Use that type of a line on me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and that'll be in our ickyisms that are not all ickyisms this season. Right. <laughs> but that was great. And then Alex is looking at him like, she's so out of your league, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, oh, but, you know, maybe not. Da, da, da. But so yeah. everybody can see. It's so obvious. Everybody can see that he has this crush on on Jenny. And she's so like, oh, don't even go there. Right. So it'll be funny to see how that plays out over time. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like she's got Joe Corbin back, but just a little nerdier because they kind of treated him like a baby brother. They, when they Corbin did. They did. They did. But he also had, Joe Corbin had a lot more life experiences. He had been to war. Right. He knew that his father was taking care of them. He's fought the supernatural. And again, it's that maturity level. Right. Jake could certainly grow into that, but right now I see them more as I'm seeing more friendship as opposed to romance. Oh yes. Completely yes, and totally. That would be quite a shocking development if that ever happened. Yeah, I'm not I'm I'm not up for that. And besides, again, it's only been a couple of weeks since she lost both 
her boyfriend, the man that she loved, and her sister. There right. is no way that Please. she is relationship ready. No. no way. No way. No how. Nothing. So, yeah, it's like, uh, okay, writers, let's cute. Let's really not quite go there. Yeah. Yeah. When Alex and Jake busted Crane, Jenny's like, yeah, he's old. I think she, <laughs> she just was finding the humor in that uh, <laughs> completely. Actually, 256 years old. So very, very funny. And saying it as deadpan as she could. <laughs> completely. And now, when she remembered the folio, I, I, one of the nice things that they did is she talked about when she and Joe were looking for another artifact. And I right. think that was important. As well. Exactly. Because, again, that relationship, even though Joe is gone, in her heart, she still needs to mourn. And so, yes, yeah, she should be talking about Joe. And he is very much a part of who she is today. So I liked that. I, I like the fact that we got those shout outs again on the episode. Yes. Now, one of the other things that had occurred was when when they are in the vault and Jenny is telling Diana how she and Abby first got involved, that they had taken a shortcut home from school that day and they saw a demon raising a warlock in front of the four white trees. And the light bulb goes off because of what Diana has seen um, that Molly has drawn. And you can see the shock there. And Jenny, of course, Jenny doesn't know what she's telling Diana because she doesn't know what, what the Diana has seen this in Molly's sketchbook. But I think that that was an important piece. And I think that that could also lay the foundation then for Jenny and Diana to bond later on in taking care of Molly, as we talked about last week, because I do believe that Jenny will ultimately view Molly as sort of a a little sister that it was time, you know, time to trade places between being the little sister and then now being, in essence, the big sister, right? Right. And Molly is not that much younger than Abby and Jenny were. Right. They were, they were 12 She's and 13. She's about to be 11 and they were 12 and 13. So. Yes. And I thought that was a very important point to make. And I think that that will help in diana's ultimate understanding maybe not exactly acceptance but understanding later on but right she's, and she's it gonna will be probably freaked. take jenny actually sitting down and telling her their story completely i agree i think that is going to have to happen at some point in time and diana's going to be freaked because jenny's going to say this is how it tore our family apart i ended up in a in an, a mental institution in an asylum for years my mother went crazy this is what we went through, and this is what I don't want to happen to the two of you. Right. So I think I see a lot of potential here with this kind of relationship, and I'm sure that, again, the showrunners and the, the writers that are so much smarter than we are already have this all mapped out. Yeah. Now, what the other thing that was interesting was how Jenny, Jake, and Alex were trying to open it up by speaking these different languages, you know, by taking these four different languages into one, and Jake kind of figured that out. And so that here he and Jenny were the ones that were uttering the words to open the passage. And so you can see some very quick, smart, problem-solving skill sets that they are absolutely all going to need to defeat monsters as they get them in the future. So I think that that was good and that was important that we saw that in our new characters. Yes, absolutely. And Alex, again, with uh, the power tools, you know, she gets the protective <laughs> disc. I like Alex with the power tools, okay? Cause yes. 
<laughs> I got to admit, you know, here I live by myself. And so if something needs to get done, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's pulling out the power drill or the chainsaw or the whatever. Don't get scared, people. But yeah, so I like seeing Alex with the power tools. This is a great, this is great fun. Yeah. So yeah, they did a very nice job as they wrapped that up, especially being underground in a way, not actually seeing what um, was going on. Yeah, exactly. And it was timed perfectly. You know, that door had closed just a little bit earlier. Crane could have gotten trapped down there with Headless, which would not have been cool. No, would not have ended well. No, not at all. All right. Shall we move on to Diana and Molly? Let's go for it. All right. Well, Diana finally gets to see the pictures that Molly drew. And because of the dating, she realizes that these were drawn before she even saw him. And that really got her very concerned, as it would any mother. Absolutely. And of course, 99% of the time, Molly draws pictures of people and not places. So the four white trees definitely disturbed her even more besides the date because she did not know why she would draw that picture. And of course, as soon as we saw it, we all knew what it was. And then once Jenny told her, then she really got worried. Yeah, extremely worried. And we do find out Molly is almost 11 years old, which I think is Another well-done, thought-out plan by the showrunners and writers. I really like the way they're doing this. The more and more I think about it, the more and more it makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still watching. I'm still watching this one. I'm still kind of like, how are you going to make this kid? This, how, how are you going to incorporate this child into the season and have her face danger? Because anybody who's a parent out there is really not going to like that too much. No. So yeah, so I'm still like, okay, let's 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 wait and see. Right. I think as soon as Molly sees something. Now, of course, Diana is completely stunned about finding out that Crane is actually 265 years old, and of course, she is very upset that he is the supernatural. Not really. I mean, if he would have told the whole story, maybe she might not have been quite as bent about it. Well, she's seen witches and, de- right. and and the demon, right? And now a headless horseman. And then she learns, you're just as whacked out as the rest of them? Really? <laughs> Seriously? Were you ever going to tell me this? D- is, this your f- is this your fault that they're all here? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that has to have crossed her mind that the only reason they're here is because of him. And of course, it was interesting that as soon as Headless got into J Street, He tells Diana to go, get out of there. Headless gets him, and then we see Diana shooting at Headless. And you go, well, okay, you didn't follow orders. (laughs) No, but he had saved her life before, and I think that she probably felt that she owed him. She wasn't going to just leave him behind. She's not going to desert a partner. Right. At the end of the day, she is a, a trained officer, right? Right. And so she is, she's been in the military. So yeah, Monster may be unnerving, but she's not going to back off, not going to back down. But after all of this, she has a sit down with Molly to try to figure out what's going on. She asks about the pictures and Molly explains that they came to her in a dream. And she asks, are you still having the dreams? No, they stopped when 
I was able to talk again. And of course, being a 10-year-old, she asks her mom, did I do something wrong? No, you didn't. We'll just get things back to the way they were. Yes, avoid, 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 ignore, avoid. ignore, ignore. Guess what? It doesn't. The problems usually don't go away that if you try and do that. Yeah. Yeah, deny, deny, deny. <laughs> nope. Yeah, and so far, we really haven't seen any signs in Molly. I mean, I kind of get the feeling this is pretty, you know, she seems to be a very talented artist, extremely talented artist. And we know she can cook. Yeah. And if she's just had some dreams, even though what she's drawing is what Abby saw, I still don't think we're seeing any signs of that in her yet. And we may not. No. And I, I think we'll talk about that a little bit in the theories okay. or prophecies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about our fearless duo alex and jake so we did talk so we did talk a bit about them uh, when we were talking about jenny we know that jake is majorly crushing her and again he is my new favorite character and i just really enjoy him he is so funny but alex on the other hand is kind of his opposite because he is completely crushing nerdy delightful puppy dog and alex is very practical when uh, when they started about talking about headless Okay, I have practical questions. How can he breathe? How can he communicate yeah. with no head? Is there a, a utility neck hole? I got to know what I'm dealing with. I mean, that is so funny. She's just so practical and just like, okay, just tell, you know, tell me what's going on. And she's completely unflapped by anything. Now, the fact that she did the carbon dating on a piece of his hair and, and swiped it off his jacket, and it's like, okay, you're old. I know you're hundreds of years old. I don't really care. Let's just chop, chop. Let's go get the job done, right? And of course, you know, Jake at the same time is like, he's a time traveler. He's a time traveler. Oh, I knew it. He's just like practically dancing around. He's so excited. I nailed it. I got it. Right. So they play off of each other beautifully. You know, it's, it's like you've got your, your straight man and your funny man. Right. So they, these two are going to be a hoot through the entire season. Yes. And throw Jenny on top of them. And yes, this, this pairing is going to be pretty good. Uh, some really good cast ads i would have to yes. say character yes. ads and cast because i would say the cast is nailing it and it was it was even great when and and jake again he knows his stuff he is so smart because he talked about the norse myth of um Mimir, who's the god whose head was cut off in a god war and it was involved and i'll tell you what he can just he can get started on a topic and then he then he just goes he's telling you everything he knows about it very very smart young man you know, he was talking about all the 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 runes and these these symbols, uh, like the hoy, which was used to bless or to sanctify Dur, the oak, the rune that was used to unlock the way when he and Jenny were having their conversations. But it's just a lot of fun to watch the dynamics between all these folks. Yes. And then we also got to see with Alex when she was looking at the disc. Here she she made this contraption that was sort of like an altar sound so that she could examine the disc that they pulled from the underside of the man, uh, the manhole cover. Right. So, again, we, we this is a smart young woman. She likes her power tools, all these toys. She does things herself. She's kind of an inventor, and there's probably a lot more to come. And, again, I can see her and Jenny getting together on creating weapons to go take out monsters. Yes, that's going to be so awesome. That is going to be great fun, and testing them out, too. 
Yeah. So now I would say one of the things that Jake had brought about or had brought up when he was talking about Benjamin um, Banneker and when he busted Crane and said that all the papers had been burned up, he said that these had been burned up in a fire in 1826. Now then, one of the things that we knew about Tom Meissen was that he used to read through the scripts and he would go back to the writers if there was something that was incorrect or you know factually incorrect and, and work with them to get them to fix it. Right. Okay, so this one must have slipped by. Oh, no. Yes, and we're going to talk about that in our history segment because they right. were off by 20 years on Ooh. this. So either he didn't have a chance to correct them or he did correct them and they didn't correct it in the script. Oh. Yes. All right. <laughs> but we'll we'll give him a pass for one of them. Right. But one of the other interesting things is when the discussion finally came up about the witnesses as well, then Jake was like, one of the biblical witnesses? He's like, yeah. wow. So he's going to start to put a lot of things together pretty quickly. And I think that he's going to be a huge help with the team, especially as we get into whatever Malcolm Dreyfus is up to. Is up to. Man, what a piece of work this guy is. Isn't he, though? We first see him talking to a, a young inventor who's developed this app that he's calling a crystal ball, a predictive type of thing. And Dreyfus goes on this little rant about, yes, your your company only has a 10-year plan. Well, I'm looking for 50, 100, 1,000-year plan. I'm investing in the future of the human race. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. Pandora was sort of on an 1,000-year kick, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is another hint at what his plan is all about, I'm afraid. And it was a little curious why Job and Malcolm didn't really know why Headless was coming to D.C., but they, they would find out soon. But I think Malcolm knew more because he goes, oh, Friday Night Light, get in your chair, get the popcorn ready. Uh, yeah, he... He's such a strange bird, and that's probably why I dropped this a little bit, because he was so over the top, both in this conversation and the one that he had later with Diana Crane and, and Crane. Diana. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's weird. <laughs> he sure is. Because, of course, when the Scooby gang finds out that he's got the, the last piece of uh, Banneker's stuff being Homeland Security, they... Go right in to talk to him. And then we really get to see him just get so far out there it isn't funny. Yeah, when he when he put out his hands, you know, or did you find where the bodies were buried? Or you know, he, right. he goes through all these things and I'm just like, ah, really? What are you just asking for trouble? You know, you're going to so much trouble to collect these artifacts. You're keeping an eye on Crane. But what are you going to give away here? Uh, that perplexed me a bit. Yes. That was the weakest part, I thought, of the episode. I totally agree. Tells them that he sold his soul to the devil at age 25, and then he goes, oh, just kidding. Yeah, but you saw the look on Crane's face during this entire conversation, and I think he knows that he was in the presence of evil, but they had to take care of Headless, so I think it was all going to be set aside for a while. Right, but you did see that Crane did notice everything 
that he was talking about. Everything. Yeah. That this guy knows a whole lot more than he's actually letting on. Interesting that Job was, shall we say, disappointed that Dreyfus actually gave them the the information, the folio. I think that he was more annoyed than disappointed because he definitely didn't agree with the decision. Right. And that, and again, that made me wonder about their relationship a bit. Yes, indeed it did. But it worked out just the way Dreyfus thought it would. Headless gets trapped in J Street, and sure enough, Dreyfus and Job are able to get in, and let's make a deal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I take that as a yes. <laughs> uh-huh. So they are gonna they're gonna free him. And that's interesting too, because Job apparently he knew about the disc. He was able to remove the disc. And yet if that disc was something that was used to stop supernatural, evil supernatural from attacking the the heads of state in Washington, Job, we know he is an evil person, and it would almost seem that if he, that he is some type of a delegate from the devil, right? And so then I say, okay, how was he able to overcome that? Is it only that the devil and the and perhaps a, a special anointed delegate of the devil can mm-hmm. do that? Because you would think that he would have been stopped by the protective power, right? Just like Headless was. Uh huh. Exactly. I mean, you're talking one of the horsemen of the apocalypse was stopped dead in their tracks. Exactly. Job can just jink. You go, ooh, this is not good. No, and that that made me pause. And then I wondered exactly how high up the food chain is Job and exactly what is he doing. And the other thing that was interesting, too, is, you know, you you think about Henry Parrish and and how he was able to get the captain, (laughs) Frank Irving, you remember how Henry Parrish managed to get Frank Irving to sign away his soul to the devil. Right. And so here, Malcolm has apparently done the same type of thing. So I wonder if Job is an advanced copy of Henry Parrish in a way, because he's got laser eyes, which Henry never had. Right. And Henry was clearly working for Moloch. And so... Maybe Job has more special powers and it's the same type of thing. Maybe he's kind of going to make sure that he gets souls signed up in key souls that are helping out the devil. I don't know. The way that conversation went down, it was really almost like a father saying, son, I'm not sure you made the right decision here. Right. And the son going, yeah, you may be right, dad, but I want to find out. Interesting. That's an interesting analogy. I kind of like that. So what he said was true, that he sold his soul to the devil at age 25. Who would that make Job? The devil himself. <laughs> With his laser eyes. I wonder if he's one of the four horsemen. Very possible. Could be. Can't wait to find out, though. <laughs> Neither can I. Hey, I bet Corey Castellano is very happy to be able to bring back Headless, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> we just love Corey Castellano and the monsters that he puts together. Yes. And wasn't it interesting that the president was represented by a black female? Yes, it was. Well done, Sleepy Hollow Riders. 
Yeah, you know what? And I think we're going to see her again. I think we have to because Headless Headless is is still determined to off with her head, kind of the opposite of the Queen of uh, whatever it was, Queen of Hearts. So I'm thinking that she's going to have to show up another time later on in the season, that they're still going to have to save her. Yep. Mm-hmm. I believe that is absolutely right. Yep. And of course, I thought it was absolutely brilliant when Headless is almost there and he basically runs into a brick wall. Yeah. A supernatural brick wall that stopped him dead in his tracks. And the way he actually transformed himself, and I, Jamie DeVito over at the Sleepy Hollow fan site on Facebook had mentioned this as well that. When he turned into the motorcycle cop, you first thought was RoboCop. I know, I did. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I even tweeted that out. I said, oh, thank God he didn't stay in RoboCop form for very long. But he got ahead. <laughs> yeah. Headless got ahead. And he wasn't Abraham. I mean, he was, he, was, he was headless with a head, but not Abraham, which I thought was very interesting. Yes. Don't know what Headless has been doing these last few months, but he's Getting smarter. <laughs> well, he was probably still riding around uh, Sleepy Hollow looking for his head. Yeah. Or Crane he, or somebody. Learned some tricks, though. He did. Now, maybe he found a piece of Pandora's box after... Uh, Who no knows? Way. I thought the thing was obliterated. Yeah, it was. Must have got a piece of Pandora. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't want her coming back. No. Now, it's real interesting that the deal that Malcolm made was, oh, yeah, I can get you the president, no problem. And you go, okay, now, yes, you are a billionaire. And you do seem to have some connections within the government. But to be able to take it all the way to the president? Hmm, this will be interesting to see if he actually has that much power. I don't think he would pass Secret Service vetting. He's too much of a nut job. Yeah. So, hmm. Of course, if he's got Job with him, we just laser him out of the way. Laser eyes everybody out of the way. Yeah, really. But here's the interesting thing. It was as if Malcolm was giving everything, but what did he want in return? Right. He didn't say. No, he did not. So he must have something he needs that only a horseman can get him. So that, mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe gathering, maybe gathering the other horsemen of the apocalypse. It could be. Maybe. I don't know. Right. We're not going to see the four trees for nothing. No. (laughs) Not at all. First act, final act. All right. Let's move into side notes. And this was one of the fun things. So, you know, we've always had multiple headless horsemen, right? Yes. Jeremy Owens has been our headless horseman on the horse. And he hasn't been Abraham, obviously, right? So we finally got to see him his real head because that police officer head that headless put on that was the face of jeremy owens nice so yeah (laughs) yeah but not to be yeah not to be confused with abraham but yes so yes that's our that's our riding headless horseman so i thought it was nice that after uh, three seasons that they uh, let us see his face absolutely now we also had edwin hodge as benjamin banneker and he's going to be with us throughout the season so I, I think, sure hope so, because I loved his character. Yeah, so did I. And it's very interesting. And, we, and again, when we get into history, I'll talk a little bit more about it. But he is supposed to be with us as a recurring character throughout season four. And I think this is going to be very interesting and, and quite a bit of fun. 
And of, yes. And of course, Kamar de los Reyes uh, returned as Job. And you know, if we're going to see him every week, I'm not sure why they don't just didn't just elevate him to a, a regular character status. But he is continues to be listed as as a guest. All right. Moving on to prophecies and theories. Where did Crane go? <laughs> but I'm that's one- a darn good question. Uh, but you know, we'll get some hints when we get into spoilers. So. But what I'm wondering is, is will this be the thing to pull Diana back in? You know, here she's saying, I'm washing my hands of all of you guys. So is she going to be a, feel obliged to save his life after he saved hers? And, and I think that that might be the draw. Right. Yep. I kind of think that we'll also get her back in. And it may be something that Molly ends up doing that keeps them back in. Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting if Molly went into some kind of trance or had some kind of vision and freaked her mom out, knowing right. that her future partner, praying the witness, was in danger? Yeah. Oh, I like that thought. I like the way that's going. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense to me that that would be the best way to do, pull this one off. Yeah, really. Nice. But now, of course, we still haven't found out how Molly and Abby are related. They have to be. There's supposed to be a blood uh, connection for the witnesses. Right. And there's nobody better suited for that than Alex and Jake. So they need to get to work. Oh, yeah. Let them get in there and start doing some uh, genealogy research. (laughs) Now, if Alex could figure out that Ichabod Crane was the only one ever, certainly she can find a blood connection between Abby and Molly. Right. And it's probably the husband... Diana doesn't want to talk about. Oh, now that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that at all. I like that. A lot of sense in there, too. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing, though, is that Alex and Jake have not yet met Molly. No. And they need to because there has to be some kind of an emotional connection with them and the child. And there isn't anything like that right now. Right. So maybe this episode would be a good one. If if she has some kind of a trance, but if she does, I don't know, then I would think that Diana would be even less inclined to take her to see them. But maybe she would turn to Jenny. Right. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Jenny can <laughs> explain it a little bit more. And of course, it's great knowing that Headless will be around for probably most of the season as well, popping in and out for a um, bit of trouble here and there. Uh, yeah, definitely. He's going to be around. And so he's, we know he's going after POTUS, and he's going to mm. go after Crane. So I wonder, will he also go after Molly? Oh, if Dreyfus finds out Molly is the second witness, count on it. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, count on it. But at least Benjamin Banneker is also going to be around this season. Because Crane did say, um, when he was talking about his initial meeting with Banneker, he, he, started ta- he, he was relaying that story, and he said, well, there, here's a story for a later time. So right. that's that's the open door, and we know we're going to get to see and hear more about a very interesting individual in American history. Yes, and the chemistry with Crane and the actor was fantastic as well. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yes, so I, I am looking forward to more interaction between Crane and Mr. Banneker. Yeah, because it's interesting because Crane was actually a little intimidated by him and his intelligence at 
Right. Well, and the fact that he was hanging upside down too, which was terribly yeah. funny. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't it wasn't the exasperation that he had with Benjamin Franklin. It wasn't the you're my boss kind of thing with uh with George Washington. It wasn't that sexual overtone friendship <laughs> that he had with Betsy Ross. So this is going to be a a different character and a different type of relationship, which will keep the history fresh. Right. Absolutely will. All right, Steve. So what kind of ickyisms slash hollowisms did we have this week? Because there were some some humdingers. Yes, there was. And it starts from the beginning of the episode. I was assured a walk-in closet. You could walk in there if you wanted to. Yeah, that was kind of a problem at the end of the episode when he did walk into the closet, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. I think he may be thinking that whole walk-in closet thing. Yeah. 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 And what of those so-called stunning views? The neighbor showers with the shades up. <laughs> Wrong thing to say to Crane, who is an impeccable, incredible gentleman. <laughs> yeah. Jake, that's right up your OG hipster vibe alley. Jenny. How have I not seen this before? <laughs> the facial hair, the boots, a proclivity towards obscure donut topping. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so funny. She was so completely poking fun at him. <laughs> oh, she was. It was awesome. <laughs> and Jake comes right back. Now that we're neighbors, we can bro down. Chill Bo Baggins. Can I get an interpretation on that, please? Because I'm <laughs> clearly not up to speed on hip language okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah instead of good old bilbo it's chillbo we can chill together oh goodness and of course crane has to talk to his ikea project i shall show your swedish cohorts that i am the master of this domain i know and all i thought was seinfeld and i'm like oh please <laughs> let's not go there i went to bit is video gaming so okay it's all right yeah. that's the way you took it all right, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get my mind back out of the uh, the <laughs> old gutter there. <laughs> yeah, I think it had a, a it was more of a gaming ref. <laughs> All right, good. That's good to know. And of course, as soon as Jenny hears that, yes, Headless is back. This comment almost went unnoticed by everybody, and it was a good one. <laughs> it was. She goes, "I figured the bastard would show lack of face sooner or later." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And said it so deadpan. Oh, it was just, God, Lindy just killed it in this episode. That was funny. And when they, um, Alex pickled Godhead's dude. I know, she really uh, she really blasted uh, Jake for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You keep eyeballing me like that, you'll lose an eye. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jenny isn't putting up with, uh, with Jake's uh, puppy fawning for long. No, no, no gawking. No gawking allowed. And, of course... When they were trying to figure out exactly how old Crane was, Jenny pipes up and deadpanned as usual. He's technically 265 years old. Yeah, that was a beautiful line. And, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) And, of course, once they catch Headless, Jake goes, Roaches check in and end up buying a timeshare. It's so corny. And I just, I just adore it. Jake, like I said, Jake is becoming my new favorite. So, yeah, there was some awesome lines in this episode. All right, that brings us to our history lesson, Barb. Okay, and Steve, guess what it's going to be about? Benjamin Banneker. 
So Benjamin Banneker was born on November 9th, 1731 in Ellicott's Mill, Maryland, which is just actually on the other side of the um, Patapsico River from Ellicott City. And he was the son of an ex-slave named Robert and his wife, Mary. Now, Mary was the daughter of an English woman named Molly Welsh, a former indentured servant, and her husband, Banka, an ex-slave whom she freed and who asserted that he came from tribal royalty in West Africa. Now, Benjamin was a free black man who owned a farm near Baltimore, and he was largely self-educated in astronomy and mathematics. He was later called upon to assist in surveying the territory for the construction of the nation's capital. Now, I will say that some of that seems to be in controversy when you look at the internet because of the lack of documentation, uh, which is exactly what Jake had pointed out. Now, Banneker also became an active writer of almanacs, and he exchanged letters with Thomas Jefferson, politely challenging him to do what he could to ensure racial equality. Banneker died on October 9, 1806. Because both of his parents were free, he escaped the wrath of slavery as well. He was taught to read by his maternal grandmother, and for a very short time, he attended a small Quaker school. Banneker was primarily self-educated, and his early accomplishments included constructing an irrigation system for the family farm and a wooden clock that was reputed to keep accurate time and ran for more than 50 years until his death. In addition, He taught himself, you know, astronomy and accurately forecasted lunar and solar eclipses. After his father's passing, he ran his own farm for years, cultivating a business selling tobacco via crops. His talents and intelligence eventually came to the attention of the Ellicott family, very well known in Maryland and for whom Ellicott City is named. They were entrepreneurs who had made a name and fortune by building a series of grist mills in the Baltimore area in the 1770s. George Ellicott had a large personal library, and he loaned Banneker numerous books on astronomy and other fields. Now then, on October 9, 1806, after his usual morning walk, Banneker died in his sleep, just a month short of his 75th birthday. In accordance with his wishes, all the items that had been on loan from his neighbor George Ellicott were returned by Banneker's nephew. Also included was his astronomical journal providing future historians one of the few records of his life known to exist. On Tuesday, October the 11th, at the family burial ground a few yards from his house, Benjamin Banneker was laid to rest. During the services, mourners were startled to see his house had caught on fire, quickly burning down. Nearly everything was destroyed, including his personal effects, furniture, and wooden clock. So this happened in 1806, not in 1826, As was stated in the episode, 20 years off, the cause of the fire was never determined. So who knows? I'm sure any anybody who was a conspiracy theorist out there could think that perhaps it was, you know, something in the new government. You know, maybe it was a candle. Who knows? It was never determined. Right. Because of all the records being destroyed, it's really hard to actually nail down time as well. Exactly. What really happened? Did he actually die in 1806? But was it 1826? Uh, he probably, I'm going to guess if they have this date down, I'm going to guess that he probably did die at this time. Um, right. And so I think that what they were trying to do was just reconstruct what they know of his life from letters that he wrote to other people and right. from his interaction with Journal. the Ellicott family. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was one quote on the site, and I'm sure that we will have more that is attributed to Benjamin Banneker. 
the color of the skin is in no way connected with strength of the mind or intellectual powers. Now I'm going to give you all a couple of references. I am going to put links in our show notes um, to these different pages, and we're going to be referring back to these as the season progresses. There's a lot more information out there, including the text of some of his letters, and I'm sure we will get into that as Crane talks more about Benjamin Banneker. So the links will be to biography.com, the Benjamin Banneker biography page. Um, We're going to include a link to Administers of the Benjamin Banneker Memorial, his story. And two centuries later, rumors continue regarding Benjamin Banneker's contributions in the planning of Washington, D.C. paper. And then there there will also be a link to the Wikipedia article about Benjamin Banneker. And there is a lot more historical reference out there. And I'm looking forward to this because um, I had minored in history and political science in college. And I will tell you that until this was brought up about Sleepy Hollow, I had never heard about Benjamin Banneker before. And I lived in Baltimore for 17 years. So this is very, very interesting to me. Yes. So with that, Steve, did we get any feedback this week? Oh, yes, we did. We got some amazing audio feedback from Bestie Justina. And here she is. Hi, Barbara Steve. That was a fantastic episode. I'm going 10 out of 10 mysterious J Streets. Is that a new skill Headless has? I don't think I've ever seen him attach a head to himself and then take on the form of that person. It's a really cool effect, which will unfortunately allow him to hide in plain sight, which could be really dangerous for our team. So Diana is really angry right now. But I think After she realizes that Molly's fate cannot be changed, she will look to Crane and his friends for guidance and protection in this manner. That is so interesting that Molly is drawing pictures of things that happened long before she was called to be a witness, as if not only Abby's soul and her responsibility as witness, but also all of her memories are also being transferred to the girl. I am really, really enjoying the new location. There is so much history to twist in our nation's capital. There's a few things that really got me wondering about this episode. One, was that apartment so cheap because it was such a dump? Or did they make it extra cheap to ensure that Crane would pick it because it is a setup for him to live there? Because at the end of the episode, that black goo in the apartment attacked him, which makes me think setup. And Jake lives in the building too. And he's all cute and innocent and stuff. But now that Crane has been attacked in his new apartment, does that mean this cuteness and innocence is a facade and Jake is in on something more nefarious with that crazy Dreyfus guy? So this Justina signing out and staying away from streets that aren't listed on the map. Have a great week. Wow, Justina, you really did like that amazing episode, didn't you? She really did. Yeah, we thought it was pretty amazing that... um, Headless picked up that new skill as well. But there's one thing that Justina said that I have to go no on. I like Jake. He can't be in cahoots with Dreyfus. No, that's no. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. No, no, no. That one will not happen. That would make me cry. I mean, we've seen strange twists before, but that would really make me cry. Right. And the reason being is the price was so right. Crane, you know, fourth of what all the other places they looked at. 
So yeah, and and the black tar actually didn't come from the apartment itself. Uh, you know, it I, it it apparently was stuck to the J bottom. Street. Yeah, yeah, from yeah from J Street from the bottom of his shoe, kind of like you know when you step on bubble gum and you don't get rid of all of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. But this has worse consequences than bubble gum. I think so. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much for that wonderful feedback, Justina. Uh, we also got some Facebook feedback from Linda who gave this 9.5 Allen wrenches. Uh, and she said, the scene where Ichabod is fortifying himself for battle and we see Ikea instructions had me laughing so hard I could hardly breathe. I am loving this change in scenery and characters. It moves so much faster and keeps my attention for the whole hour. Yeah, I know, because when it was over, I'm like, no, wait, stop. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> it can't be over yet. No, don't happen. And then I'd also put out the Twitter question of the week. What just happened to Ichabod Crane? So everyone else is either stymied or no one wants to answer because it was crickets there. We didn't get any responses. Oh, so no. sad. Broke my heart. So guys, when I put out a Twitter question, would love to hear what you have to think. Absolutely. All righty. Now, we did get some other uh, Twitter interaction. And this one comes from the real 2D Eno. Just curious what Ichabod might think of our reality TV president, Trump. Okay, so let's just like totally not go there, okay? <laughs> Love hearing from you, the real, but no, we're not going there. <laughs> yeah, it will be interesting to see if that no, let's just, shows up sometime. Let's just not go there. <laughs> um, okay. I can see them writers. Uh, they might. Yeah, the writers well, could. Maybe, well, yeah, we'll we'll address it, it if they do. About him being, yeah, maybe yeah. it won't be about him being president. Maybe it'll be about one of his shows that Crane will make a. No, they are. They already have a POTUS, so we have yeah. a POTUS on the show. So yeah. All right, we want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook, and thanks for all the retweets and interaction. This week's shoutouts go to Janina Gavakar, Sleepy Hollow Attic. Terry Knickerbocker, Adam Julian, Danny, Susan, Tiffany T, Nina Marie, Lolly, Debbie Lamb, Michelle McKeever, Joyce Williams, Deb, Kat, Annette, Linda, and Justina. Also, Golden Road Entertainment and KPM Film Credits. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Okay, there are a couple great ways you guys can get a get a hold of us and interact. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to the goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback page where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can even typey-typey out your feedback on the form. You can even attach audio feedback to the form and send it in. Now, we have a tight turnaround schedule. Our feedback deadline is Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So we know that's tight, but anything we, whenever we can hear from you, we love hearing from you guys. You can also get on Facebook on the Witness Prophecies page. Leave your comments there. There's always a spoiler thread for you after the show has aired. And you can also find us on Twitter at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Salier Steve, and I am at Tangier14. All right. We've reached that time of the podcast where if you don't want to be spoiled on future episodes, Run, run as if the headless horseman is coming after you with that red glowing axe. All right. Visions of the Future, Episode 4, The People versus Ichabod Crane. When a monster fashioned to make its victims live out their most personal and haunting memories hits DC, the team must find its weakness to save one of their own. Mm-hmm. 
Meanwhile, Jenny forms an unlikely bond that could be important in saving the world. Can the group prevail against one of the most insidious monsters yet? Find out next Friday, January 27th. Yeah. So, so is that goop uh, got Crane in a coma, maybe? That goop has, I don't know, but it's definitely got him. And clearly, if they're trying to save one of their own, that's Crane. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we know he's been attacked. So, yeah. And, and if you stop and think about it, that black goop was intended to stop the supernatural evils, right? So it's it, it wasn't in, intended to attack a good person. And yet right. he stepped in it. So that means it's probably going to be really bad. Yeah. And But the fun part is we get John Noble back. And we get uh uh-huh, as Henry Parrish and Onira Terrace as Grace Dixon. She's going to be yes. back. Oh yeah, that's going to be. This is going to be something a else. Great episode. <laughs> yes, looking forward to it. Okay, the next one after that episode five is going to be Blood from a Stone. This is going to air on Friday, February the third. As Dreyfus gets closer to making progress on his mission, important parts of his past come to light. His former partner returns to settle the score from years before, and it becomes evident that Dreyfus's involvement in the supernatural is not something new. Don't miss learning how Malcolm Dreyfus came to be. So here, I think that he really did sign his uh, his uh, soul away at 25. Yes, I think so too. But I'll tell you what, if this is an old partner that's coming to settle the score, he's got to be dumber than that brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> With Job, Job can laser him and the dude is going to be gone. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, I think the partner is only for background purposes only. He will be gone before the end of the episode. <laughs> I predict. Here, let me look in my crystal ball, the prophecy. Okay, my prophecy is I predict he's going to be zapped by red laser eyes by Job and he will meet an untimely demise. Yes. Episode 6 is entitled Homecoming, when the team realizes that the talisman which Dreyfus seeks might be hidden in the most obvious of places, they race against the clock to find it before the evil forces are aligned. Then, with heightened emotions and bittersweet memories, Jenny and Crane revisit important parts of their past as they return to Sleepy Hollow. Wow. That is going to be another incredible episode. Yes, it is. <laughs> I wonder if we'll see Daddy Mills. You know, I don't see him on the guest cast, that, but, but they don't put everybody in there. That's right. I bet we'll see Daddy Mills. Oh, I hope so. To Sleepy Hollow. That would be awesome. Yes. Okay, episode seven then is going to be Loco Parentis, which is Latin for in the place of a parent. And we don't really have too much on that yet. Nope. Nothing on episode eight, Sick Burn. Nine, Child's Play, and I think that's the one you said that you had heard about, right? Or one of the ones? Yes, where the child draws pictures of monsters that then come to life. Yep. Episode 10 is entitled Insatiable. 11, The Way of the Gun. Episode 12 is Tomorrow. I have heard that this one is a look at the near future if Dreyfus succeeds and should have the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in it. Yeah. It is really creepy looking setup. Nice. And then episode 13 will be entitled Freedom, and that's what they just wrapped up filming, I guess, this past Friday. Yep. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe on iTunes to any GSM podcast, 
go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we really do hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve, and for a group so new to this war, we have fought exceptionally well this night. And this is Barb signing out. And in a vote between the lesser of two evils, I choose not to vote at all. See you next week, sleepyheads.